Welcome to Race and Democracy, a podcast on the intersection between race, democracy, public policy, social justice, and citizenship. We are pleased to welcome William Abronowitz to Race and Democracy. Um, William Abronowitz is a photographer whose work has been acquired by the National Portrait Galleries of the United States and the United Kingdom, the Getty, and the Metropolitan Museum of Art, among other collections. A longstanding contributing photographer to Condé Nast Traveler, he's the author of five books, including American Originals, Creative Interiors. And today we're going to be talking about this, this wonderful book, This Far and No Further, Photographs Inspired by the Voting Rights Movement. Uh, great to meet you. Likewise. Thanks for having me. Um, this is a fascinating book uh, in three parts. Um, uh, and, you know, there's a great forward by Nicole Hannah-Jones, of course, who's the Pulitzer Prize winner for the uh, 1619 Project. And you write um, a very moving preface as well. Um, I want to start by asking you uh, what inspired this project? Because we're Obviously, it's 2021 as we're speaking, and this country is talking about race and racial justice, I think, more now than it ever has been because of obvious historical events, um, insurrection against the U.S. Capitol. But the, the civil rights period looms large in all of this, as does the first Reconstruction. And this, this book really, um, it's a tour de force in the sense that it takes us back and forth in time in very powerful ways in the three parts. So what, what, what was your inspiration for this project? Um, the, my inspiration was, uh, was, you know, it came from several, several places. I mean, I, uh, I, I made a trip to Selma. I was there on, uh, on an assignment in Lowndes County. And, you know, I'd, I'd always, I'm 64. I grew up with many of the events of the, um, you know, the civil rights movement of the, the 60s and 70s. Uh, my father was quite the racist. So I was aware of, um, uh, you know, the civil rights movement along a couple of different fronts. Um, but I, 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 I was educated by, um, you know, I went to a Catholic all boys high school. It was uh, deeply, uh, the, the ideas of social justice and Dorothy Day, they were deeply embedded in the education that I got. And so as I became a photographer, I, I always had an awareness of the social capabilities that photography had. I mean, I photographed pretty buildings and houses and beautiful locations for a wide array of magazines. But, you know, my personal work always had something to do with the social, a social movement. I, I did a lot of work with the environmental movement. Um, uh, over the last 10 years, I was on the board of Riverkeeper. Um, so I've always had that consciousness and the awareness. Two years after Barack Obama walked over the Edmund Pettus Bridge uh, when he was president to celebrate the 50th anniversary, two years after that, um, I found myself on that same bridge. Uh, it was shortly after Donald Trump had been inaugurated. It was March of 2017. And uh, Chris Kobach was uh, undertaking uh, a voter fraud uh, commission, and they, they were desperately trying to find all of these um, holes and, and, and voter fraud occurrences. And, and, and so I just, I became outraged in my um, ignorance, you know, and it really was ignorance because I didn't have any awareness whatsoever or a minimal 
awareness of what actually happened during the civil rights movement, you know, um, and, and standing on the bridge, standing where John Lewis was beaten, you know, walking across the, the, um, the Interstate 80 and, and just trying to experience through the photographs that I know um, that, uh, you know, uh, it just moved me. And I decided I wanted to do something. And I'm a photographer. It's what I know best. Um, I've done it for a long time. And I try to use it as a vehicle for a voice. And because most of the people that I know don't know beans about, you know, I, I delved into it and I learned slowly, but most of the people that I know don't know beans about it. William, let's start um, breaking this book down. I want to have a conversation about um, the photos you used, um, the organization of the book. Uh, and part one is Mortal Sin. Uh, and you take us through Alabama, Mississippi, other parts of the South, uh, and you really show some historical photos that at times look quite ordinary, at times are quite extraordinary. Um, I want to discuss what was your process in photographing and choosing these photos, the order uh, of the of part one, the mortal sin. Sometimes there's historical artifacts like the the the, the literacy test, which um, was extraordinary just to see. Yeah. And I've seen these literacy tests as well before. But I think it's interesting in terms of mortal sin. One, what are you thinking of as the mortal sin, and what was your process in? There's some poems here by Lucille Clifton and others. What was your process in choosing these photos? Well, the, these photos? The, the, uh, the book wasn't photographed in the same, uh, you know, sequence that, uh, that it's, I didn't photograph in the same sequence that it's laid out in the book. The, the, the shifting around of the photographs happened afterwards. Um, the idea of mortal sin, you know, originally I, I the idea of mortal sin comes from my, my Catholic upbringing, you know, and, um, it seemed that the Lucille Clifton poem on of slave ships, you know, how can we, how, how, do, uh, uh, how do, how do ships with names like Jesus and angel of God, God vomit men. Uh, it, it just, it, it, it was, it was plain sin to me. It was sinful. I mean, people were killed, people were abused. Um, and so the idea of original sin, um, I, I wanted to be careful about it. I wanted to make it a little more personal in, in, in related to what I knew. I'm not a historian, you know. I'm a photographer, um, and even in, in in my past work with an environmental movement, I learned about it as I went. So I started with very basic um, travel guides for the civil rights movement, and started in because I was in Selma. I started with a wonderful book on the Alabama Civil Rights Trail, and then I moved. Uh, and then I started to encompass some of the other states that were affected by the Voting Rights Act um, and uh, and federal oversight. So I just I I, I followed. I, I started with simple guidebooks, and then I expanded it into reading history. Uh, I read a lot of James Baldwin. I wanted to understand how it could be. You know, I mean, how is this possible? But I'm white. You know, and Benjamin Salisbury, who is a museum director at the Emmett Till Project in, in Sumner, Mississippi, when I expressed all this outrage to him and said it was simply un-American, that's why I started this, he sort of very quickly told me that to him it seemed 
very American. It was very much American. He's a black kid, grew up in Tallahatchie, uh, in uh, Tallahatchie County in, in, uh, in Mississippi. And uh, that kind of flipped me on my, on my behind. And, and let's talk about that in terms of Mississippi. You have some great photos um, connected to the murder and the lynching of Emmett Till in 1955, uh, including the Tallahatchie Courthouse. But one of the things that struck me was the bullet riddled, um, the bullet sign, riddled yeah. sign of of uh, commemorating Till. Um, so talk to me about that in terms of um, because I, now I know a bulletproof sign has been put in place. Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, and and uh, I just found out that this sign is going to actually be touring as part of an exhibition. Um, that the the center uh, the the Emmett Till Center has put together. I know it's going to travel to Birmingham, Alabama, and hopefully to other places. Um, but the the this sign I remember reading about when it, when this happened. I remember reading about it initially because it's happened a few times. Initially in the New York Times, and then the second time I read about it, um, which was after I photographed, there was a uh, and uh, I guess it was an Instagram post in 2019 that included a photograph of three members of the University of Mississippi, a fraternity there, and they posed with guns in front of one of the signs. Um, you know, I mean, you can't help but be outraged when you understand this Emmett Till as a symbol, you know, is one thing, but this is a 14-year-old child, you know, and uh, it just, I, I couldn't comprehend it. I still can't comprehend it, although I know it's the reality. I know you know, I know it's fact. We can see it. And, um, you know, Till's, Till's story, while not directly related to voting rights, um, is certainly part of a, a history of intimidation that, that just worked to deny citizens full citizenship. And, um, and so the Till story is particularly poignant because it's a story that most people know. And it's, it's, for me, it was one of the, a, a good place to start. Most of us know that story. And, um, but the repercussions of it, and it is, it is still as uh, tangible and, you know, and tactile today as it was perhaps in 19, you know, in the late 1950s when it happened. And you start with, there's a great photo from Charleston, South Carolina, um, of this portrait of this slave ship uh, that's displayed in Charleston's Liberty Square. Uh, and 40% of African people brought to the United States uh, under slavery passed through the city of Charleston. And in 2018, the city formally apologized. But we see this partial manifest of children, boys and girls, um, none older than 10, some as young as um three or four, yeah. um, I guess the oldest is 11, and their heights. Um, I thought this was really extraordinary photo. This isn't a photo that um, I recall seeing, and I've seen so many. Um, discussed the, when you think about part one in that mortal sin, um, the connection between racial slavery and what we see during the civil rights period in terms of, there's so many different landmarks here. Um, not only that picture, but you look at the, the Alabama River uh, and the fact that there were so many enslaved people transported as human cargo through major ports um, um, and routes such as the Alabama River on steamboats in the 19th century. 
Um, so discuss that. Uh, there's the, the irrigation ditch in Lowndes County. I've been to Lowndes. I've been to Hainville. I've been to a lot of the sites that you actually have here. I've been right. to doing research. But slavery is such a, a huge part of this um, right up until right now, until 2021. Um, what are some of the artifacts that you you, you photoed um, in, in part one that's connected to that that original sin of 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 racial slavery. Well, certainly, certainly the the slave ship photograph, which is at Liberty Square in Charleston, um, uh, which is uh, I I I usually visited these places because I I had learned about the history of them, and you know so I went to the port where the slave ships had come in. It's a very beautifully, wonderfully developed, uh, you know, urban park. Uh, there's an aquarium there. There's a park honoring Septima Clark there. And there's this simple little stand with this one photograph uh, on it um, that, that, that's outside. And, you know, just in looking at the photograph, I mean, you see children. I have, ki- I have three kids, you know. I, 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 I have many nephews. Uh, and, I, I mean, the, the mortal and how much mortal of a sin can uh, we be guilty of than, you know, this slavery that involved children. Um, it, it, it doesn't get any, it doesn't get any more poignant to me, you know, uh, than, than the idea of children separated many times separated from their parents sold off as stock. Um, the, the, you know, organizations like the Equal Justice Initiative in Montgomery have put up historical markers that look just like the, you know, uh, state-issued historical markers. But, uh, you know, in psychotherapy, a lot of times, uh, a psychotherapist will have you sort of turn, which what my psychotherapist has said, turn the lens and look at it from a different side. And the EJI historical monuments in places like uh, on the Alabama River in Montgomery you know, tell you what happened here. You know, the, 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 it's in, it, my, uh, my friend says it's in the wallpaper. The history is in the wallpaper. The history is in the water. The history is in the earth and particularly in the South. You know, I mean, I don't know what it is about the South. I don't know if it's the, the heat, the humidity, the knowledge of history. There's certainly been a, a lot of blood spilled, but there is something that, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's, I don't know. I, I just react to it. And I know a lot of people do. I know a lot of photographers have. And, um, it, and certainly you, you mentioned Danny Lyon and others. Yeah. I want to move us forward to part two, yeah. um, redemption. Um, when we look at this, uh, these series of photos, um, uh, it, it gets a, a little bit more, more hopeful. And obviously part three is going to be revival. Um, some things that stood out, the, the photos of John's Island, uh, South Carolina, yeah. um, and, and uh, you know, the, the kind of racial segregation, but people who were pushing um, to try to transform that situation. Dorchester Academy, yeah. which was founded in 1870 uh, by activists, uh, formerly enslaved men and women for free citizens. Um, it becomes a school, but then Septima Clark, uh, it serves as a headquarters for the Citizens Education Program and a staging ground for key civil rights, including the 63 Birmingham campaign. Um, Little Rock Central High School, 
uh, and obviously the the pictures of uh, fifteen hundred uh, you know white you know screaming just a mob angry. yeah yeah scre- screaming uh, is 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 very very indelible. Um, the farm on Belzoni. I've I've been to Mississippi, been to the Delta, and um, it's 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 certainly beautiful. Um, uh, but the plans to ensure that Black people would be kicked out of the Delta thought that was extraordinary. Um, you've got King's Dexter Avenue Baptist Church here, uh, the, the Ben Moore Hotel. Um, there's so much um, here, so much history. Um, and so much that's not, <laughs> you know, so much that's not. I mean, I, I, I did this for two years. I, I kind of had a deadline for myself. I wanted to to, 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 I wanted to have this book done, you know, around the time of the, the recent election that the presidential election we had, I could have continued and I could continue for decades on this because the history is, it's, it's, it's a long history. It's a dark history. Um, but the, the idea of redemption came, you know, there's, there's a dichotomy that runs. uh, I try to pay attention to two sides of a coin a little bit. You know, the idea of the, the title this far and no further, you know, comes from the, comes from the James Baldwin, uh, quote, uh, about, uh, people being pushed so far that they scream this far and no further. And at the same time, you know, I'm, I'm seeing in contemporary politics, you know, white America pushing back and saying the same thing, this far and no further. Um, and the idea of redemption w- was, you know, it's, it's a historical term, um, in, 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 but I wanted it, you know, it's also a religious term. And again, I, it's, it's, I, I, I reached back to, and I'm not, I'm not a devout Catholic. I haven't been, I haven't been to church in many, many years, but, you know, it, I, I have a set of morals that are based on that. And the idea of redemption, that people actually took one step at a time to, to, to work through this. And, 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 you know, during this period of redemption, as I was thinking about it, one of the things I discovered, and, and I know you've talked recently about Jean Sia Harris, you know, in her book, she, uh, A More Beautiful and Terrible History, she talks about the students, the women. You know, we know the same names. I learned the same 10 names for civil rights history, you know, in civil rights history. But my God, the roster that goes, you know, that is unmentioned is enormous, you know, and, and, and now what we see with, with, you know, this past summer's events, you know, it continues the idea of redemption, you know, it, it, um, and that redemption that it's interesting that you call part two redemption, because there's obviously the, there's, there's two ways of looking at that. There's the redeemer South, the white supremacist South, uh, after reconstruction, or really during Reconstruction, where you see the rise of the Klan and the poll taxes and the Black Codes and really racial terror and violence and Jim Crow segregation. But then there's this idea that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and the SCLC to redeem the soul of America and center racial justice and anti-racism. So it's very powerful. Now, you have these portraits of uh, these pictures of Lowndes County and as somebody who works on Black Power, and I've I've visited Lowndes County, I have visited Hainville. I've I have I've visited these spots myself personally, yeah. so I know how powerful they are. Um, uh, talk to us about basically the living history. How did it feel to be in spaces like Lowndes and spaces like Mississippi? Because obviously, like Faulkner says, the past you know is not even past. The past is pro prologue. We're living through this. Uh, how how does that? How did it feel? Especially, you say, William, in your preface that. 
you know, there was a point where you felt ashamed that you hadn't been as outraged before as a younger person about this. So you've had your epiphany. How does it feel as you've gotten more, and you're an artist, you're a photographer, how did it feel to take these photos now, especially especially now with how you're feeling? Um, I, I felt, you know, my, my, uh, I have a, a couple of kids in their 20s who are very aware of the cancel culture. And um, they, they, I, I was concerned. I felt I had a responsibility to all of the people who actually, you know, and a, a responsibility and a sensitivity to all of the people who had, who had endured whatever they had endured, you know, the, the people that had been murdered. Uh, there was a responsibility uh, t- to them. Um, but, but I, I wanted, you know, it, it was important. Uh, you, you become, you know, when you stand at a murder site, it, it, it is a, it, it, it silences me. You know, it, it silenced me, and the silence in me is is a good sign um, that you know there's deep emotional. There was deep emotional content for me to deal with, um, and and so you know, I I, act, I wound up seeing uh, all of these places from the you know a comfort of a, a a car with air conditioning and you know a map and and you know, Mississippi blues as I drove through the Delta, but, you know, driving on the roads at night and thinking about night riders and the, you know, and, and, and visits um, that were made to intimidate people over um, voter registration drives, or, you know, even the insinuation of participation in the civil rights and voting rights movement um, could bring a deadly, a, a deadly response, you know, and just like when I stood on the Pettus bridge, as I had said earlier, there, there was a, I, I, there was a, ch- there's a charge, you know, and there are, there are certain places like around money, money, Mississippi and in Tallahatchie and, and all, all through that area of Mississippi that it was just rich because, you know, it was the darkest place. It was described continuously through history as the darkest place during the civil rights movement, uh, Clark County, Mississippi, uh, where the Shibuta bridge is, um, which is called the hanging bridge, you know, it was so, it was so violent that, you know, most civil rights and, and voter registration um, activities didn't even happen there because the fear of violence was so palpable. And and you know I I I had I had fear in some of these places. I felt fear standing underneath the Shibuta Bridge. You know I I and I had I had probably very little to fear. And so let's talk about the the final part revival. Yeah. And you've got. Um, Great pictures of people like Sherilyn Eiffel, who, who, who I know, and Brian Stevenson, and, and sort of this effort um, at voting rights and desegregation, really anti-poverty right. efforts um, in the Deep South. Um, and to really, I think this part of the book is very hopeful and shows us that these struggles really continue right in our own time with the Equal Justice Initiative and the Legacy uh, museum and the National Memorial for Peace and Justice, um, and the Poor People's uh, Campaign. You know, uh, yeah, you know, Reverend, Reverend Barber, Barber, Barber yeah. yeah, and and yes, Theo Harris as well. So, so, when you look at these pictures during the third part of this, the final part, what are you what are you trying to convey to the readers? What are you hoping they get in terms of the the 
the overall impact. They, of, they, yeah, the idea the idea that voting rights isn't just about you know if if we if we address access to the ballot, we most likely will be addressing you know democracy for us is supposed to be the best way to take care of something to fix something. And the more people that vote, the more the democracy works. The, the elimination of poverty, I think, is the basis. You know, uh, that's the thing I found to be across the board, most, the most powerful thing that could happen as part of a revival. You know, the, the work of, of the, the New Poor People's Campaign. You know, somebody like Kimberly Merchant in, in Grenville, Mississippi, who I actually just simply sat next to on a flight and started a conversation with as I was heading to Jackson, Mississippi. And it turned out, you know, here's this woman that's worked for the Shriver Center on Poverty Law in the Delta, you know, and and now is uh, working in public schools and is an, an election commissioner in Grenville, Mississippi. So so there's this this element of hope, but and, and in leaving, you know, in closing this book, I wanted to do that. I want it's a treacherous, it's a treacherous time. Um, but I wanted to, I, I, it was part, it was part of conveying my education. This is what I learned. It was pretty interesting. Uh, you know, I hope you find it interesting. I hope it changes the way that you think. Um, because it's a pretty simple thing to understand when it comes down to it. You know, it's a pretty simple thing to understand. That, so uh, my, my final question, William is, so what do you, Obviously, I think this is a terrific book, and I want everybody to run out and get it this far and no further. But what are you hoping for in terms of the impact of this book? And are you, after going through your own journey um, in terms of understanding or beginning to understand the legacies of the civil rights movement, um, these racial justice movements, these anti-racist movements from from slavery really to the to the present in the right. South and nationally? Um, you know, how has that changed you and what are you hoping the book's impact will be on our larger society and our larger culture? Um, I, it's, it's changed me in terms of, you know, I, I have learned that history can teach us everything, you know, and if we can break the cycle of certain histories, um, we're, there'll be successes, um, particularly in this in this front. I, I this book isn't for people who it's 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 a book targeting people like me, you know, me in 2017 when all I knew was a little, and when you learn a little bit more, you start to understand. All it takes is people to get this thing moving. You know, and that, that's an easy thing for me to say. There's lots of organizers who would show you how difficult that is. But look at these wonderful organizations and, and, and you know, people that are, that are doing all these things. There's a lot to learn. And white people like me, I'm in my 60s, people in their 50s, the 70s, the 30s, the 20s. We have to learn this history because then we will understand where all of the outrage comes from. And how deep it goes. I think that's a great way to <laughs> to end it. I think uh, I think everyone should read this, but certainly I think white white our white uh, fellow citizens should find out about this this deeper history that's really beautifully done here in this uh, brand new book, 
uh, this far and no further photographs inspired by the voting rights movement. We've been talking to William Abranowitz, uh, who's, who's the photographer, uh, whose work has been acquired by the National Portrait Galleries of the United States and United Kingdom, the Getty, the Metropolitan Museum of Art, among other collections, a longstanding contributing photographer to Condé Nast Traveler. He's the author of five books, including American Originals, Creative Interiors, and this brand new book, This Far and No Further, Photographs Inspired by the Voting Rights Movement, uh, University of Texas Press. It's a great book. Um, it's a coffee table book, but that has great information and beautiful um, photographs in there and really helps us understand uh, the current crisis of race and democracy in the United States. So I think this is an important achievement. Um, and congratulations, and thank you for joining us. Thank, thank you very much. I, I, you articulate what I was trying to do beautifully, much better than I can sometimes. So, so thank you. Oh no, no, you're you're perfectly articulate. So it's okay, been a great good. conversation. Great. Take care. Thank you. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to this episode, and you can check out related content on Twitter at Peniel Joseph. That's P E N I E L J O S E P H. And our website, csrd.lbj.utexas.edu. And the Center for Study of Race and Democracy is on Facebook as well. This podcast was recorded at the Liberal Arts Development Studio at the College of Liberal Arts at the University of Texas at Austin. Thank you. Thank you.